Hello, Caroline. Hi, Yuli. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for inviting me. So why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience? Great. So my name is Caroline Sinise Levine. I am the co-founder of Six Figure Start, which is a New York City-based career coaching firm, which is comprised exclusively of former Fortune 500 recruiters. So in my case, I started my career as a strategy consultant, so outside of HR, but I moved into recruiting because I joined a retained search firm that specialized in consulting, and then I moved in-house to a media company and worked uh, in recruiting uh, in-house. And so, you know, I've seen recruiting and careers from a variety of angles, having a career myself and then Mm -hmm. also hiring people, Um, and then I currently, in addition to um, working as a career coach, um, I teach at Columbia University Professional Development, so I also see careers uh, from the point of view of teaching about them, and then I write a column for Forbes Leadership, and so I also write about careers, so it's just Mm -hmm. a number of different, I'm all things career is probably the best way to describe it. Yeah, and the way we got connected is that I went to one of your talks out here in San Francisco given for uh, Northern California, Columbia alumni. And um, and I'm not a Columbia alum, so we're clear. So I, don't, I still don't know how I stumbled into that, but I'm really grateful that I wound up getting the invitation to it. Um, what struck me was uh, the work that we do in trying to help military families with their career change. You know, I think even in my own head with the experience, what I, I, I somehow or another thought that everyone else had it easy. And I liked in your talk that you gave, you know, you started with a lot of the questions that uh, the folks in the audience, very accomplished people, had about career change. And, you, you know, you just threw them up on the board. And I was struck by how similar they were for a lot of the questions that I get from military folks. So one of the reasons I wanted to have this conversation and provide this resource um, you know, to military folks is like, this is hard for people with the best resources, the career change, the career management and things like that. And when we have people in the military that are removed from the talent market and basically in a different culture altogether, it's that much harder. So if they can you know, start early and prepare for this challenge, you know, I think it'll wind up being much uh, easier for them than if they don't. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, career planning, career management is, you know, there are lots of similarities across the board regardless of what sector you come from, whether it's the public sector or the private sector or nonprofit or, in this case, military versus civilian, right? So mm-hmm. there, there are still a lot more similarities than there are differences. I mean, good proactive career planning um, requires some basic, you know, fundamentals. Yeah. Yep. So I, I, we only have about 30 minutes, so I wanted to jump into that talk, if you didn't mind. Like, I know you have a book and a lot of resources out there that allow people to, um, you know, go more in-depth in some of the suggestions that you, that you had. But what I, what I really liked were a couple of the points that you brought up um, that could be changed before a person was making a career change. So it should be pointed out that um, Deloitte recently did a uh, did some research 
I think it was uh, partnered with the University of Southern California, and they realized that 80% of the people leaving the military do so without a job lined up, mistakenly expecting to go ahead and get a job within, you know, a month or two. And that's just simply not the case at all. And a good majority of those people are doing career changes. So what they did in the military is not what they're going to wind up uh, doing in the civilian world generally because that's not what they want to do. When they were in the military, they focused on what the needs of the military were. When they come out, they focus on their own personal interests. So you pointed out some things that could be changed uh, before um, you actually did the career change. And I think much of it is still applicable for uh, folks that are in the military. Um, one of them that I thought was, you know, uh, very important was this notion of money management. So career change is going to take longer than typical career search, and I think people need to be co cognizant of that. Um, why don't you go ahead and uh, flesh that out a bit? Yeah, so, I mean, the first step, you know, in my book, uh, Jump Ship, 10 Steps to Starting a New Career, and the first step is about changing everything else but your career, and money management is one of those things, you know, money your relationships, your health, your relationship to stress. So with money, it is because career change, you know, takes longer than just your traditional job search, but also because depending on what new career you select, that might entail uh, some investment, whether it's schooling, a certification, mm -hmm. your memberships to professional associations so that you can meet people in your new career, um, so there's an investment there. And then depending on what the salary is going to be, there might be, you know, a pay cut. Um, who mm -hmm. knows? And so there are a lot of money issues that are wrapped into the career change. And so while you are still in the military in this case, you know, while you're in your old career, you know, get your savings in order, get your budget mm -hmm. in order, you know, build some good financial habits so that when you're in the thick of your career change and there's going to be so much to do, you're not also worried about the money piece. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the, the next, I'm doing these in order that I think are really important for me um, as someone that helps military folks. I, I really rely, liked what you talked about with respect to the relationships and the notion of keeping it a secret. Um, I think for the military that that's required, right? Like the no, and I think this is something that needs to be changed. In the military right now, there's this notion that you're a bad warrior if you give thought to the fact that you're eventually going to get out of the military, and that's just nonsense. Like Colin Powell got a job after he left the military. General Pace got a job after he left the military. Everyone that's lucky enough to come back will get a job after they get out of the military, and so they have to prepare for that. And a lot of that preparation is going to involve, you know, being able to get on the websites and things like that and simply find information. But you need contact with these people in these organizations that you're considering going to do because that going to because that's what makes you a competitive candidate. Simply doing job search by itself is not going to make you a competitive candidate for a lot of these jobs where people are doing networking and informational interviews and things like that. So this idea of uh, you know keeping it secret until you finally have to, I think it's worth, you know, reflecting on a little bit, and I'd like to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, well, where I talk about the, the secret piece, you know, so I have a, a different take on it. Um, you know, I tell people that when they are unsure about what their next step is, to keep that a secret. Sometimes we, 
you know, in our rush to get ideas or to brainstorm with people, you know, we reach out to to everybody and, and we kind of let people, you know, I'm thinking of this, I'm thinking of that, I'm thinking of this other thing, you know, and it, mm-hmm. it makes you sound scattered. Um, the other mm. thing is that you might have an idea and then people talk you out of it, you know, and since you haven't really had a chance to explore it for yourself, you might, you know, not have an argument as to why these folks are wrong, right? So in mm. the very beginning, I always encourage folks to do their own research before talk just talking to people, um, you know, here and there. That what I will say, too, is that when you do your own research first and then you do start talking to people, you can have an informed conversation. And that's your mm. face to the market. You know, you want to sound like someone who's thoughtful, sound like someone who's done some research, as opposed mm. to someone who's just reaching for things. You know, I think you're talking about this notion of, of secret, you know, they're discouraging uh, you to talk to people when you need to talk to people. You absolutely need to talk to people uh, during your search. I think it should come later. You know when you're when you know what you're excited about. When you know you know how you're going to talk about yourself and introduce yourself. So I think there's some preparation mm-hmm. you need to do, but you absolutely need to talk to people. People hire people, and so you mm-hmm. want to have uh, those connections. Um, yeah, I, there was, uh, there was one quote that you had that I'm looking for. Um, and it was like, people don't hire negativity. Um, yeah, I mean, there's you, definitely, yep. I, I'm sure I said, I, I talk a lot about the, the positive attitude and, you know, people hire people that they like. I mean, this is a relationship you know we want to like the people that we work with and all things being equal if you have two qualified candidates and with the market being so competitive there will be several qualified candidates you know we're going to hire the person who has a positive attitude uh, who's likable um, and who can relate to other folks and so the thing about job search is that it can be an incredibly stressful anxiety inducing process. And so if you've gotten knocked around a bit and you're feeling low or feeling negative about the process, you know, you're probably giving off some of that energy and people aren't going to say, oh, but the job search is so hard and be empathetic about it. They're just going to assume, oh, this person has negative energy. You know, they're they're going to feel it. And so that's going to hurt you, you know, as you network with people, as you interview for jobs. Yeah, here, here's here's what I here's what I was struck by. It's people are not attracted to push; they're attracted to pull. No one's interested in the ne- negativity, and that was when you were talking about job. And I I, I relate that to the conversations you're having with um, with other people about whether or not you're ready to go. So I take your point and tying it all together. Talk to people once you've done your research and know what it is you want to do. Why you're attractive, so that you're positive in these conversations. Before that. Keep it a secret. There is almost no value um, when you don't uh, when you don't know what you're talking about, and frankly, talking to other people that don't know what they're talking about. I mean, like I, having been in the military, there's all sorts of conversations about what it's like to be in the civilian job market that are not rooted in fact. So when you're coming up with your own civilian career plan about what it is you want to do, yeah, it does make sense to take some time. Get the facts so that you are properly prepared to have a meaningful conversation and then sort of know who to listen to and who not to listen to, and, but doing it in a positive way, both in the military and also when you're out. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And and in military to civilian transition, you know, I'd say the point is, oh, you know, I have to leave the military or, um, oh, you know, I, I my tour is over. I don't know what I'm going to be doing. So so you're you're pushed out of whatever your former career is. And, you know, the ideal would be that you've identified something that you're excited about. And so the story isn't so much I have to leave the military, but it's more I'm moving on to this great right. thing. Fill in the blank. Yeah. Yep, uh, that was one of your quotes that I wrote down. The only good reason to qu- to quit a job you have is when you have something better. Yeah, and then something better could be, you know, again, taking some time off, or it could be, it doesn't have to be, you know, a career change. And that's, in fact, something that I I wrote in the book. You know, one of the steps is, is your career change light, which is to change one thing but not everything. And so, mm-hmm. you know, example specifically with the military might be that someone who comes from the military might then move into a veterans affairs role, you know, at mm-hmm. an ag- government agency or at a nonprofit. They might move into um, a consulting type role where the clients are government agencies or defense agencies or, you know, something where the military expertise will be valued. Clearly a different role, it'd be a private, in that case it would be a private sector role, but they're mm-hmm. playing off of something they've done before. And so the career change is not changing everything. You know, they're still keeping something constant and some expertise that they have. Mm-hmm. Um. Having gotten out of the military uh, myself in 2005, uh, some of the guidance that we had, which is that, which is the, your resume needs to be one page, and you need to make it simple for uh, uh, civilians to read and understand. I just got off uh, the phone today with a bank here in uh, San Francisco, and the recruiters, you know, they're talking about doing tr- training to try and help their recruiters read a uh, military resume. And I, I stopped the person I was talking to, and I was like, that's not going to happen. In order to fill a job, a recruiter is not going to learn to speak and understand military. Military folks have to know how to take their experience and translate it in a way such that it's easily understandable to a civilian who hasn't been in the, in the military. And that is, you know, one of the comments that you made uh, completely unprompted. But uh, you said, you know, don't ask me to figure it out. Read blogs and figure out what you have to so that I would understand your experience and how you're valuable for my organization. Yeah, because that's the job seeker, whether it's military to civilian or some other career change, you're the one who's asking for uh, the the hire. You know, you're asking yeah. to be hired. You're asking for a lead or a referral. You're asking for your resume to be considered. And so you're in that position where you need the other person. Um, and so you have yeah. to make it as easy as possible for the other person to say yes. And in the case of resumes, that means that your resume is easy to read. It's easy to skim. I can figure out uh, where to put you, you know, and if I don't have a military background and there's all of this jargon and different titles and I'm not going to understand, you know, if a lieutenant is more senior than 
you know, some other rank, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't need to, I shouldn't right. need to know that, you know, there, there needs to be enough clarity around, okay, I've managed this many people and this is what I was responsible for. Um, you know, I know a lot of military folks who, let's say they're managing, you know, a ship, they're managing budget, they're managing people, they're, they're ordering supplies and that's stuff that's relevant to companies as well. There's procurement in companies and there's budget and team management in companies. And so to the extent that you can draw a bridge between your, you know, very industry specific, in this case military specific experience and, you know, what would be translatable to companies, that's gonna help the recruiter figure out, okay, this is where I can put this guy. Or gal. And I, yep, absolutely. Um, you also pointed out the need for there to be hard skills. Hard skills are what get you hired. And after you're done with the resume and also the interview, you then turn around and change roles and you become an internal advocate for uh, the candidate that you've chosen. Um, so it becomes, as, you, as you've just said, you know, it's really, it needs to be easy for you to become that advocate. So, you know, you, you shouldn't have to learn rank structures, relative rank structures in order to say, hey, hiring manager, I have a person here that's going to bring value to your team, which is the conversation that the resume, the interviews, the cover letters uh, prepare you to do. Yeah, and hard skills doesn't necessarily mean, you know, coding or, say, financial skills, although those are examples of of hard skills, they're just very tangible skills. You know, when I say hard skills, it's supposed to soft skills, which is more, you know, communication skills or relationship building skills, which are also very important. But that's going to be sussed out during the hiring process. And it's those hard skills that are going to get you in the door. And so things like I talked about team management or budget management, uh, procurement, logistics, um, if you've, uh, you know, had to organize a lot of details, being very clear about, you know, what all those moving parts were and then what the ultimate result is, you know, that's an example of something that's very tangible and relatable because there are, again, projects with a lot of moving parts in corporations and organizations, and you don't have to have been on, you know, on a military assignment to, to see how that's translatable. Uh, you had a strong position about the uh, cover letter and the use of the cover letter. I'll let you explain that. Yeah, you know, so look, I mean, a lot of people, you know, they think, well, is the cover letter old-fashioned? Does anyone even read cover letters? The reality is, is that the vast majority of employers don't really read cover letters. However, there's going to be a small percentage that do, and the ones that do really care about it. And the reality is is that the cover letter, because it's a letter, it's written differently than a resume, it gives you an opportunity to make your case in the, in the way that the resume cannot. So it's another marketing document for you. So of course you want to take advantage of it. You want to make sure that you write a really strong cover letter. Um, and you're hoping that it's, you, know, you get an employer who actually does read it. Um, and, and I'll tell you, the ones that do, they really value the cover letter. So you can't just overlook it. You can't dismiss it and assume it's it's part of, you know, the old job search techniques. It's very much um, relevant today, and especially for a career changer, because, again, it can tell your story in the way a resume can. 
That's interesting. I mean, because out here in San Francisco, I think you're absolutely right. Not a lot of folks to uh, even ask for the cover letter. Um, you know, they, they'll they'll have a sort of writing sample and say, like, if you're going into sales, okay, tell me how you're going to engage a, um, a, a, a potential customer that you don't know. All right. Now, well, assume you actually have a lead in there. Give me two different writing samples and let me know what's going on. And then it moves into whether or not you've done precisely the job uh, that I'm that I'm looking for. And if you have, you know, OK, we'll give it a shot. And if you haven't done precisely that job, the assumption is that you can't do the job and they'll simply find someone that that uh, that has done the job. I think in other more mature organizations, yeah, I can see how you know, that cover letter, you, you are more likely to find hiring managers that are interested in the cover letter and use that as, an, as, a, as a bit of information to know a little more about the potential candidate. Well, keep in mind, too, that cover letter can be cover email, right? When you are contacting someone and you're sending your material over to that person, you're not just going to say, hi, Yuli, see attached. I mean, you're mm. going to write something. And that's few lines, those few lines, that's your cover letter. It's cover email, and it's not the four-paragraph structure of a traditional cover letter, but there's absolutely an introduction, a hook, uh, a reason that you're giving to open that attachment <laughs> with your information, and then you're absolutely going to thank them you know, for the consideration and have some kind of call to action that you're either going to follow up with a phone call or you're going to email them again. Uh, you hope to hear back from them. So it it's going to be an email, and it's going to be written slightly differently, but it absolutely is the same idea. You're writing a letter to get someone's attention. So you need to know how to do that. Yeah, I think I, I think what's really awesome, one of our earlier episodes is that we uh, talked about business etiquette. And uh, unlike dining etiquette, which is pretty hard and fast, right, like which fork you use for which meal and all of those sorts of things, a lot of these other bits of etiquette, which are a function of culture, you know, they are changing very, very quickly. So I take your point that the cover letter isn't anymore this piece of paper, you know, that's formatted in a particular way, but instead it takes advantage of a new communication tool, which is email and says, okay, yeah, you know, here's who I am, here's why you care. Um, here is an attached resume, and I'd love to follow up at some point in the future. Right. Yeah, and there's your cover letter, only it's by email. Yeah, perfect. Um, you had a very – I love your, uh, your answer for the weaknesses question um, that you'll inevitably get in job interviews. Do you want to share that feedback? Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, look, when someone asks about a weakness, we're really trying to, to gauge self-awareness. You know, we're not trying to trap someone. We're trying to, to hear, you know, are people aware? Because everyone has weaknesses, and are they doing something about them? And so the best way that I can describe to, to approach this is to think of a role that you held or a project that you worked on, an assignment that you were given, where in hindsight you would have done something differently. So mm -hmm. make sure that nobody got fired, nobody got killed. Mm -hmm. You don't want to pick something that's terrible. But, you know, <laughs> just something would have been different. So maybe it's because you didn't have as much um, skill or expertise as you have now. Maybe you had a different perspective. Maybe you were just earlier in your career, and now you have more 
um, whether it's industry knowledge or just more professional maturity or a deeper skill set. And so you think through, you know, what would I have done differently and and what prompted, you know, kind of that, that um, lesser performance, if you will. And that's going to give you a specific weakness that you can talk about and a specific story that goes with it. So it's it's, at the same time, it's real and it's tangible, but it's also answering the question. And I think that's much easier to do than trying to pick a weakness out of the sky. Mm-hmm. Something that's, uh, that I, I get a lot um, is, is it okay for me to go out and get you know several job offers or pursue several job offers? There's this feeling uh, that you're being dishonest or you know, demonstrating a lack of loyalty when you assert, hey, I'm really excited about working at your company. And then it can easily be found that you're, you know, not only going to Goldman, you're going to Morgan Stanley, you're going to J.P. Morgan. I tell folks that's what you have to do, because while you are interested in them, they may not be interested in you. And that's okay. And the last thing you want to do is put yourself in a situation where you don't have a job because the person, the company you chose wasn't interested in you. You uh, you related it to, and I'm glad you did, it's sort of like dating. A lot of job search and career change is like dating. Um, did you want to you know, expound on that? Yeah, well, I think, you know, in this case, so I'll talk specifically about, about job offers. Uh, you know, employers are also pursuing multiple candidates. You know, for the reasons that you described, Julie, that not every candidate is going to be interested in the job, and not every candidate is going to be suitable for the job. And then sometimes a candidate might seem ready to go, and then, you know, they they realize how much they prefer to stay where they are, or maybe there's a relocation involved, and they just can't. And so the candidate mm-hmm. falls away. Similarly, as a candidate, you have to look at multiple offers because, Again, you don't know if the employer is going to pick you. I've seen many instances where there are several talented candidates, and we can only pick one. Right. Um, and, and also, you don't know what's going to happen to the role. Maybe the role changes. Something in the company changes, and the role changes slightly. You were the front runner. All of a sudden, you're not. Or maybe um, budget gets shifted to some other headcount, and the role disappears. Or an internal person raises their hand, and all of a sudden, the role disappears. And so you don't know what's going to happen if you only go after one offer. You just don't know if it's going to get to the finish line. And I think, you know, when I talk about relationships and dating, you know, and the job search, it's you can't assume that the, the first person that you that agrees to go out with you is the person you're going to marry. So, <laughs> you know, you have to you have to be realistic. I, now, I'm not suggesting you get into a serious relationship and then start dating around, but certainly in the beginning, right? You just don't know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, the final point here, here, because we're getting down to the uh, towards the end, is I, I like you, you pointing out that business changes in a quarter. So it's completely possible that all of these, all of this guidance that we've just given during this talk could potentially change in three months. Um, do you want to make a comment about that? Well, I think the skills, I think the approach that we're talking about isn't going to change, but the companies you're going to go after 
change. You know, so mm-hmm. so if you look at, you know, if you make a list of, let's say, 10 companies that you're really interested in, and you look at them in January, and you look at them again in April, they're going to have different jobs posted. They're going to have different needs. They're going to have different market conditions that they're facing. They might have been doing extremely well in January, and they've hit a rough patch in April or vice versa. And so you have to approach your job search with some urgency because if you look at a competitive set, you know, that group of 10 companies in January and you slowly work your way through Mm. and not look at everybody, you know, by the time you get to April, well, you have to look at everybody all over again because like I said, things are changing. I mean, things change even faster than a quarter, but certainly, you know, quarter by quarter. So I always tell people, look, try to finish your job search in three months. That doesn't mean that it's going to finish, but it Mm. forces you to to really do your research and approach your companies so that the information that you're gathering at least is a bit current. Well, that's all I have, Caroline. Do you have any final thoughts that you wanted to share uh, with the audience? Any recommendations uh, beyond what you said, of course? Yeah, no. I mean, look, I I've recruited for a long time, and I've hired many career changers, and I've hired former military. Um, and so it's doable. You know, people change careers all the time and people make the military to civilian transition very successfully. And I think when you hit a rough patch in your search or when you feel like, you know, things aren't working um, and, and maybe this is too hard, I think you have to hold on to the fact that it's totally doable. And maybe it's, you know, a technique that you're applying. Maybe you just need to add more leads to your pipeline, uh, maybe you need to give yourself a break and, and get refreshed again. Um, but it's about changing your job search technique and not about you know feeling that, that somehow you're not worthy or that you uh, have to change who you are. Um, it's really just uh, focus on your job search. Career change is absolutely doable. I will um, put your LinkedIn profile in the description of this episode, but did you want to give anyone your contact information to reach out to you? Yeah, I mean, the best way uh, to to reach me is through my website, which is sixfigurestart.com. So, uh, you know, if you could include that link, that would be great. And then also okay. um, I write regularly for Forbes.com Leadership, and you can follow me on there and get pinged when I um, do – a post, and in fact, I did a post on um, on General Pace. He he gave a talk, and I summarized the ten career lessons he talked about. So it's a much older post. This was a couple of years ago, two or three years ago. But um, you know, that might be something that you want to look up, and that's on Forbes.com. Okay, I'll do that, and I'll put both of those in the description. Caroline, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it, and I'm confident it will be useful for our audience as they prepare for their reintegration. Well, again, thanks for inviting me. I'm happy to do it. My pleasure. Have a great weekend. Okay, you too. Bye.